0: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Ah, g'day. Welcome. My name's Mel Fulton, and this show is called Literati Glitterati. It's a book show. It's all about books and stories and storytelling and reading. Welcome. It's lovely to have you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I am broadcasting to you live from the stolen land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I, I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and a huge shout out, as always, to Bunjil, the great creation spirit. Sanya Rushdie is in the studio, she'll be joining me very shortly uh, to talk to me about her debut novel, Hospital, a literary account of a woman's experience of psychosis. Um, also joining me on the show is Emily Westmoreland, Program Director of Willy Litfest. Willy Lit Fest is celebrating 20 years um, in a couple of weeks' time on the 16th, 17th and 18th of June, so we'll be talking all about the program and what we can expect from the festival. Um, it's going to be a big show, it's going to be a great show. It is my great pleasure to introduce to the show our first guest for today. Sanya Rushdie was born in Bangladesh and studied biological sciences and psychology at Monash, Deakin and Sydney Universities. Hospital is her first novel. It's out now through Giramondo and was translated by Arunaga. Aranava Shiva, a uh, sinner. Sorry, the book is a clear-eyed and fascinating account of a young woman's experience of psychosis and hospitalisation in Australia. Sanya, a one-time PhD student, is diagnosed with her third episode of psychosis and is moved from her family home to a community home before being submitted to a psych- psychiatric hospital. Her question, uh, she questions her diagnosis and the medical model that determined it. And her questioning nature is at the heart of her instability um, and also her intelligence. She possesses what some might describe as an overactive mind, making connections that aren't necessarily there, finding meaning and signs in illusory things, describing the fear and dread that she feels with extraordinary clarity and calm. It's a book that takes a detailed look at psychosis and its treatments in this country. And it's a book that also asks what it means to be sane or insane in contemporary society and the role language plays in shaping our world. Sanya, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Mel.
0: It is an absolute delight to have you here. Thank you for making the trip. My pleasure. Now, I wanted to start by pointing out that this book is a work of fiction, but it is one that's inspired by true events. And the protagonist shares your name, Sanya. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the the events in your life that inspired the book?
1: Well, I was um diagnosed with psychosis in 2009. That was my first episode of psychosis. And then in 2015, I had my third episode. So um, that's what inspired writing about the condition and the treatments that I received.
0: And can you tell us a little bit about, um, I suppose, the... Um, the decision to write to write the book as as a fictional work um, rather than a memoir, what do you feel that uh, fiction can do in this sort of situation when you're describing your own experiences that that nonfiction can't?
1: well i was um, I have an academic background. I was a psychology student and um, I guess academic writing is very condensed. it's not as uh, easily readable by all kind of audiences. So um, that's what fiction comes in. That's where fiction comes in, I think. And it makes it very readable, enjoyable. It absolutely
0: does. You're, you're totally right. It's, um, it is, I think, that something that I love so much about this book um, is well, firstly, the way that it generously shares something that we don't so that we don't often get an insight into personally, um, and also the way that it um, that it reports on that and that it provides us this um, this wonderful sort of nuanced insight um, into the character herself and into sort of her journey and her experience. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about um, what. The sort of what the journey to the diagnosis of psychosis was like for for you and for and for the character.
1: Okay, um, it didn't make sense to me at first. Nothing made sense. Um, that's what psychosis do to you, um, and I, I was questioning everything that was around me. I was being suspicious and. Um, it was a very threatening kind of experience. I felt a threat all, all the time, yeah. But not that was for my 2009 and 2010 experience of psychosis. 2015 experience was very different. I, I didn't feel as restless or as uh, threatened. It, I was pretty calm and I could actually feel that I could write a bit um, and I used to keep a diary at that time as well. So yeah um, it felt I, I, was, I guess I was suspicious a bit but it wasn't as I wasn't as restless or anything like that. It's
0: an extraordinary thing that we are able to experience uh, being inside. A psychiatric hospital, like through your eyes and through your, and and through what you have experienced by keeping those diary entries and by being able to sort of to tune into what what is happening to you. Can you tell us um, a little bit about sort of what the daily experience was like being in that hospital?
1: Okay, um, the daily experiences the patients. Um, made it quite good actually it wasn't that bad because of the other inmates so um, it was still very isolating though moving away from home getting into a hospital and it it was kind of I, I had the, n- nothing was allowed in the hospital, no computer, no internet, no telephone, so the only way we could keep ourselves busy was to um eat and sleep and mingle, so that's what we did so that's what the experience was like. I think
0: that there are um a lot of you know really moving kind of passages in the text um that describe the the atmosphere of the hospital really well. Um, that sense of kind of restlessness and that sense of, of fear or the suspiciousness of things, and and also that um, the bonding that you have with the with the different people who are who are staying in the hospital as well, and how you pass the time together and the relationships that you that you sort of build with them. Something that really affected me when I read this book um, was the manner in which you write it is so calm and clear and concise, um, and and the person who is narrating the book feels it feels like they're giving a really objective account of what it, of what it feels like to be in the hospital, but these things happen as the novel plays out, where um, you know the character of Sanya is in the hospital, is um, spending time with her friends in the hospital, and then she's told that the way that she's behaving is inappropriate, or the things that she's seeing are inappropriate, or you know that she's. Um, or she's, she's writing in her diary and then she tunes into the TV in the TV room and um, and on the TV the newsreader is reading the passage from her diary. This is what she's feeling is sort of happening and it's an incredible thing that you do that gives us an insight into this mind that that we don't necessarily or this kind of perspective that is, that is shifting and moving and that we don't necessarily feel... Um, safe in if that if that makes sense how how did you do that like what was the process like of moving between you know this experience the diary entries and then sitting down and going I want to write a novel like I want people to read this and understand what what it feels like what it feels
1: like to have this experience okay it was a process I guess um it was a story that was just waiting to be written I um, had my third episode psychosis in 2015, and um, I was heavily medicated. It took me a long time to get used to the medication, uh, a couple of months, I think. And in 2016, I just thought that I had to make sense of everything. so I start, And I thought the best way to do that is to write it down. So that's why I wrote it down in two pages of paper. And then gave it to my one of my publisher friends um, in Bangladesh to read. He's also a famous poet and a writer and artist. And he read that, he read that and um, said that, why don't you make it into a novel? It has all the material for a novel. And I was like, what, I've never written a novel before. I've always done academic writing. So he goes, "Um, OK, just uh, spread it out a bit. Write down what will be in each chapter, just in one line each. So I did that. I wrote down what's going to be in each chapter in one line. Um, And he goes, OK, so write down the first chapter now. (laughs) So I wrote the first chapter, and it got published in an online magazine, and I got a lot of encouragement from the readers who read it, and that kept me going for a couple of more um, entries in the online magazine. And then I stopped and finally wrote the book, and that got published in 2019.
0: Yeah, wow. So it was published first in Bangladesh and then it was translated to English, is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah, wow. And it all started with just two pages written down, like a little bit of a blast and the encouragement from a friend or from a mentor and from somebody who is a writer as well who's told you to keep going. Um, Can you tell us, like, I suppose what do you... Who do you feel like you've written this book for? Like who do you really, when you imagine an ideal reader, who do you want that person to be?
1: Well, first of all, I wrote it for anyone who feels that they have nowhere to go. I think writing is a way to go for them. And I've also written for their carers, the social workers, nurses, doctors, teachers. Even the government, if they want to implement some of changes, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, wow. And can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, I think that language truly is at the heart of this book. And there's a fantastic quote from Edgar Gunayden on the back of it. Edgar Gunayden has been on our show before. She's a wonderful author and has written the um collection written branch and she's written that this is a remarkable study of the self and of a descent not into madness but into language. Rushdie does what is nearly impossible, narrating the irrational mind without loss of insight and I think that that is an extraordinary quote from her and a, a really fantastic summary of this book. It is. There's a wonderful scene in the book where you are in discussion with your doctor and you don't agree on something and and uh, your character, Sanya, is saying that the way that we speak and the way that we communicate and the language that we use is the manifestation of the way our mind works and the way to unsnarl it, and you use that word, which I think is an extraordinary word, the way to unsnarl something that is happening in our mind is by using language and by talking and and your doctor is sort of saying or the doctor in this book is saying you need to you need to take lithium like you need to take medication and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to to the tension there and to and to um you know and to the way ahead do you think uh or or the treatment for psychosis or what you want people to understand
1: about treating it Okay, I want people to understand that a lot of psychosis, I think, personally, can be treated through interaction, through communication. Um, like at the end, one of the last chapters I wrote about my telephone conversations about my boyfriend, Tanvir, and he, I was getting into another episode of psychosis, I think, and he got me out of it which is a true um, tr- true thing that happened. Um, so I think a lot of it can be um, treated through language and communication and interaction and love and understanding. Um, if, you, if we alienate the people with um, mental illness um, into some other spaces, that doesn't work, I think. I think they feel distant from you, alienated, and they they won't open up about what's happening inside them, so it's important to have that rapport with them and um let them know that you understand where they're coming from, what's happening,
0: yeah, I think. Those passages that you mentioned about the conversations on the phone with your boyfriend—they are—they're um, so—they're so beautiful in their kind of. I hope you, you won't take this the wrong way, but in their in their wonderful just ordinariness, like there's these quite ordinary conversations where there's somebody who is pointing out things that they're seeing. Um, I think that in those conversations you talk about there being lots of black and white cars on the road and, like, what does this mean? I'm starting to think that it's a sign and it's showing me something. What is this doing? And your boyfriend just sort of very gently going, well, uh, black and white cars are the most popular uh, colours for cars, so it makes sense that you would see more black and white cars um you know on the road today anyway I've got to go to work how are you going let's check in later and just sort of it's mixed in with the catch-up you know there's this kind of utterly safe space for two people to express how they're feeling what they're observing and what's going on for them to during the day and also to do some of that sort of gentle I don't know um untangling or resetting
1: does that yeah yep yeah that's right
0: Sorry, I feel like I'm telling you what you already said to me back, but I, I, no. this, is a, this is a really interesting conversation for me and I'm getting a lot from it. Thank you.
1: Thank you,
2: Mel.
1: R-
0: Sonya, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit. I, I mean, my experience of reading this book is that in a very classy and understated way in quite beautiful paired back prose, it absolutely blasts stereotypical notions of what psychosis is. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you want people to understand about, about living with psychosis or about experiencing psychosis.
1: Well, I, there are many kinds of psychosis, I think. Some are completely debilitating and some others are not so debilitating. So, I think that's why that's what led to the writing of this book, because the two thousand and fifteen episode that I had was not that debilitating, so um, I still could write, I didn't feel as restless i um the only thing that was missing, I guess, was the socialness of the condition I wasn't being as social as i should have been considerate of others so um i guess i want people to understand that there are many different types and although some may and some and some people may prefer medication others may not may not respond that well to medication they may prefer alternative treatments so yeah
0: yeah, thank you, Sonia. Um, I think that something that really comes through in the book is, um, and and certainly not in a laboured way. It's just something that I was that I carried with me as I read the book was our, our sort of <laughs> our very binary uh, manner of sort of looking at at our health. Uh, you know, we look at our mental health and we look at our physical health, and we don't often combine them together. But also the very binary manner in which we look at, um, you know. We're, we're sane or we're insane you know there's this kind of it rather than looking at um, looking at the world in which we live you know and and um, the experiences that we have and the very broad kind of I don't know emotional spectrum that we're all sort of operating in as well yeah um, I wanted to ask you you know to, to go big and, and to speak to this like how do you think how do you think in the modern world, how do we define sanity, and are we are we looking at it in the right way? like what what should we be doing? What are we not doing?
1: Well, I guess in the APA, it defines that um, American Psychological Association Manual, it defines insanity as um, experience, bad experiences by the person as well as others who may be harmed by it. So I guess um, sanity... Sorry, what was the question again? I lost track of it.
0: Yeah, I think... I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. I think think that what I was really asking is that... uh, I mean, how do we define sanity in a, in a contemporary world? And in a contemporary world, that's often a mean world, you know. <laughs> um, how, how do we define it and how do we function within it and how do we take care of people, I think?
1: I think that's, as you mentioned, how do you function in it? So sanity, I guess, would be um, where how we can function within a world happily and doing what we like to do without harming anyone else and being in a state that we enjoy being in, doing the things we like doing and which will help the society and ourselves as well, not just the society or not just us, it's a balance I guess.
0: Yeah, I understand that. So, a, a capacity to sort of to, to care for yourself and the people around you in a small sense, but also in a in a larger one. Um, I want to shift gears just slightly, and I, I want to talk about the um, the sort of the process of writing the book, and you've spoken a little bit about this already, about sort of jotting down a couple of pages and then fleshing that out into chapters and yeah. going a little bit further. But this book, if you've just tuned in, was uh, first published in Bangladesh uh, in 2019 and it has since been translated. And so the book uh, the book that's just come out in Australia right now is the English translation, obviously. Uh, it was translated by let me just pick up the book, I'm sorry, by Urunava Sina. And can you tell us a little bit about the process of working with him, what relationship you had and, and how how you go about translating a book from one language to another?
1: Okay, it was um, a fantastic experience working with Urunava. And I've got to know him through my sister, Luna. Um, she, I think... um sent a book a copy of my Bengali version of the book to Orunavo. Oronavo read it and he said he's interested in translating it in English. So we went from there.
0: And as somebody who who speaks English and, and Bengali, how how do you um how do you settle on the right, the right fit language-wise? This is quite a, um, it's quite a lean novel, you know, that the language is clear and precise and there were particular words that really stuck out to me and I was like, wow, what a fantastic choice. I, I mentioned that word unsnarled before and it really does ring, you know, it has a certain, I don't know, like a liveliness or a, something, you know, that feels like it's the only word that could be used but it's quite an unusual word. How do you, how do, you do that? Do you do you chat a lot, or do you, you
1: know? Well, Orun Orunabhu is a very famous translator. Yes. In Bangladesh, uh, in India, and um, I think he did a fantastic job. I don't know how he did it, but I think he has he has a lot of work um, behind him, so it was probably not that hard for him.
0: He's just an alchemist. <laughs> yeah. He can be done. And he translates from English into Bengali and Bengali into English as well, doesn't he? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um I think that's just about all we've got time for, unfortunately, but I have loved talking to you so much, Sanya.
1: Thank you, Mel. My pleasure. It's um, something
0: <laughs> Sanya Rushdie is the author of the fantastic debut novel, Hospital. It is out in all good bookstores from last week, I believe, and the book will be launched very, very soon. Details incoming. Uh, If you want to go along to the launch and find out a little bit more about it, I recommend you follow Gira Publishing on social media or visit their website, um, and all the details will be announced for that very, very soon.
1: Triple R on FM Digital Online via the app.
0: I am joined in the studio by this year's Willie Litfest festival Coordina- uh, festival director. I'm sorry, Emily Westmoreland. Um, the Williamstown Literary Festival was established in 2003. It brings together readers, writers, and book creatives of all sorts for an annual celebration of storytelling, author talks, panel discussions, and writing workshops at a historic seaside setting. Sounds absolutely like my cup of tea. Welcome to Triple R, Emily.
2: Why, thank you, Mel. Thanks for having me. It's my honour to be here. Yay! Um, 20 years of the festival. How exciting. How does one celebrate 20 years? Well, with the biggest festival Willie Litfest has ever put on, with a birthday party and with um, events... With other arts organisations in the West, because it's a party, everyone's invited. That sounds wonderful. Um, as a bookish
0: person, my association with bookish birthday parties or birthday parties when I was a little kid was kind of like sitting in the corner reading, yep. <laughs> cutely with other people around me. Tell me what. Tell me what happens at a festival event birthday party.
2: Well, this year, Willy Litfest turns twenty. Um, so does the Emerging Writers' Festival. So with the Emerging Writers' Festival Program Director, Ruby Rose Pivot Marsh, and we will be interviewing the very first program directors um, and festival founders so that we can talk about how the festivals have changed in 20 years, the scope of the literary landscape, how that has shifted, um, and also so we can have some cake and celebrate together. Ah, that sounds like a wonderful idea. But you're right about the nook introverted uh, moments there's places for that at Willy Lit Fest as well. Of course there is and you can look at the ocean
0: and maybe dare yourself to eat an ice cream if you're one of those people who likes to eat ice cream in cold weather which obviously I am.
2: Absolutely and if you want to mulled wine that that option is available to you as well. There's soup, there's I mean it's a cozy festival. It's the middle of winter in Melbourne, it's by the beach. We want it to be a cosy, intimate and expansive yeah. <laughs> celebration of 20 years.
0: How wonderful. Um, I want to ask you about the setting and about, um, you know, the kind of character that Williamstown plays in the festival, how important it is, how you feature it. Um, could it be anywhere else? I don't think so.
2: I don't think so because it's a fun festival. Um Williamstown has this real pirate history. It's a port. It used to be the biggest port in all of Melbourne, and there are so many seaside maritime water related events at the festival this year. Um, Williamstown is home to some crazy cold water swimmers. Um, cool. I'm one of them, and on this Sunday morning of the festival, we will be having a little salon at the Swim Lifesaving Club and then going for a winter swim. I love this. Wow. Extreme reading in Williamstown. Cool. And then on the Saturday night at the Pirates Tavern, which is where the Maritime Association is based, we'll be talking to Peter Scott, who lived and commanded submarines for 15 years. And there'll be sea shanties, a band beer it's part of our willy lit fest late program we have a surfing dog coming to the festival which is also going to be fabulous spike a surfing dog
0: what kind of dog what kind of
2: board he was a rescue And now Spike is a surf champion. He won the surf championships at Noosa. And so if you have children that love dogs or if you love dogs, please. I think it's the only writers' festival in the entire country that has a dog headlining. Um, And I want everyone that's listening to know that this is me setting a precedence for the festival. Willy Lit Fest is fun. (laughs) It's not your regular writers' festival. You don't have to have read the book. You can just come and Tag along and see some fun things. That sounds wonderful. Now,
0: what if you have read the book? Like, talk to us about what authors are available, what kind of conversations you'll be having, what's happening panel-wise. I know that our beloved Triple R broadcaster and book critic, Fee Wright, will be on some panels.
2: Yes, and this is a great jumping point because if you are a book nerd and you love literature, there's also space for you at Willy Lit Fest. Fee Wright is actually hosting this fabulous panel with Michelle Cah- Cahill 200, 100 years after the Bloomsbury set was at its most prolific about why we're still reading Virginia Woolf. Um, could you get any more bookish than that? <laughs> um, and then Fee is also going to be um, bringing out um, two the people some fabulous debuts megan rogers and gina perry gina has had written books before but this is her first novel um, and they'll be talking about whether or not you can rewrite a childhood um, through reimagining things with the lens of adulthood so if you're into the um, sort of nuts and bolts of literature or really into writing as an art form there's there's something to cater for everybody. The festival is fun. The festival can be frivolous, but there's also a space for deep thinking so as well. Cool.
0: <laughs> Surfing dogs in the, blueberry, uh, the Bloomsbury set sounds perfect. <laughs> we contain multitudes. Yeah, you do. Um, such nuance. Can you tell me, there is? I noticed that there's a panel discussion around whether or not ChatGPT can write a novel.
2: I know, controversial um, topic at this moment in time. Declan Fry and Rhett Davis will be handling that one and I don't know if you have seen Rhett's book Hovering it is truly experimental fiction and I think that people use that as a derogatory term but in Rhett's case I mean it only as the massive compliment. There's chapter bits written in code and if he can write code in his novel I wonder if AI I could write his novel too. Wow. Yeah,
0: that sounds fascinating. Totally. Um, I mean, I wanted to ask you what goes into sort of programming programming a festival? How do you tap into, you know, the zeitgeist? Or what is the zeitgeist at the moment? I feel like you're kind of uniquely placed to to talk about that. What are people what are people in the book world writing about? What are they uh, talking about? And how do you kind of tap into that and turn it into a festival?
2: Well, this is a great question. And one of the things that I found challenging about programming really lit Fest is how do you cap your enthusiasm? Because I always want to talk about everything. And if somebody is passionate and writing about it, usually it means that there's space to open it up into a conversation, which I absolutely love. Um, programming... I kind of come to it with this very informal approach. Would this make a great conversation around a dinner table after you've had a bottle of wine with your smart friends? And if the answer is yes, then I think there's space for it at a festival. Cool. And so that means that you do get this quite
0: varied and dynamic mix of obviously the surfing dog, but you also get um, an historic sort of look at a Williamstown the place. You also get the chat GPT talk. Uh, I notice that there's a a bit of discussion in this year's festival around like witchcraft and, um, you know, the notion of like the apothecary and like these kinds of... Oh yeah, absolutely.
2: Witchcraft, I think witches are in the zeitgeist at the moment. I think there is a feminist reclamation of witchiness and um, this... I don't know, disregard for the patriarchy as a way of living our best lives. Um, and there are lots of novels about witches at the moment. Two of those novelists, Rain Collins and um, Eliza Henry-Jones, are going to be at Willy Lit Fest. Um, Rain is a practising witch to this day um, and is an amazing writer. I can't believe that her first novel is only just coming out. She's been involved with the festival even before I was and... I'm excited to see what they have to say.
0: Yeah, wow, fantastic. So that's Rin Collins and Eliza Henry Jones, who are gonna be talking about witchcraft. Um, we're running out of time, Emily, but I would really love to know what you're currently reading. What what's on your TBR pile? What are you sort of working through? What have you loved lately that yes. listeners might like to pick up and have a read of?
2: Great. Well I just finished reading a SAGO novel by Pip Finkemeyer, which is also, speaking of Zeitgeist, the novel for the moment, All the Sad Girlies, I highly implore you to pick it one up because it's out today. Um, and I've just finished reading Happy All the Time by Laurie Coleman, which is from the 70s. Charlotte Ree mentioned it in her memoir Heartbake which is about nourishing yourself with food so if you're feeling sad those are the two books that I recommend you pick up for winter Sad Girl Novel because it will make you feel seen and Heartbake because it will teach you that a boiled egg is a form of love
0: oh how delightful Emily Westmoreland, thank you so much for joining us on the show if people want more details about the festival they can go to willylitfest.org.au there's a full program there Um, all of the speakers and all of the talent are listed it's going to be a wonderful couple of days, the 16th, 17th and 18th of June.
1: Triple R. Ah.
0: Thank you so much to my guests today. Thank you so much to Emily Westmoreland, who is the Programming Director of Willie Litfest. And thank you so much to Sanya Rashdi, the fantastic debut author of the wonderful book, Hospital. Do go out and read it. Um, I found it absolutely informative and um, Quite unlike anything else that I've read lately, which I feel is always a good thing.
1: You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.